You're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rizowski. We're re-releasing our interview with Scott Lowell to celebrate, well, Scott Lowell. Scott was on Broadway in The Elephant Man, starring Bradley Cooper, and that show was just nominated for four, count them, four Tony Awards. Aside from this great accomplishment, Scott's been on Bones, American Dad, Hero, CSI, and played Ted Schmidt in the groundbreaking Showtime series, Queer as Folk. Congrats, Scott. We couldn't be happier for you. Please enjoy this awesome interview with an awesome artist, my friend, Scott Lowe. We'll talk to you at the other side. Local hire uh-huh. um, kind of things. Right. Like, well, Do yeah, they pay? But they won't pay you more. They we kind of finally got some money out of them to, as like a relocation fee, but so it'll only cover part of my rent. I still have to find my own place. Oh, my God. <clears throat> yeah. I, you know, I, I used to... I did tell you that we started, right? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I... I used to think, oh, I could live there. And I still kind of think that I could live there. But I love living here. Yeah. I really love it here. And what you did, it sounds really like the idea of living here, mm-hmm. but living here and then using this as your home base and going to other places. Yeah, it's been very nice. And I actually, I mean, the last time I was there, I'll be interested to see how it goes this time. Because uh-huh. the last time I was there for two months was kind of a thing. Like I like my New York agents better than the LA agents, and I was I had done a show in the summer in the Berkshires back there. I thought, well, let me let me go spend a couple months in New York and just give them a shot. Uh huh. And so I went there, and I and that was my big city growing up. I grew up an hour and a half outside. Right. Uh, so I used to go down there all the time. My childhood best friend lives down there. So you know, mm-hmm. I, I've always spent a lot of time in New York, and I was surprised to find how much I missed Los Angeles <laughs> while I was there. I couldn't mm-hmm. wait to get. Back here, and partially, it's, it's where I realize, you know, as an actor, you spend so much of your time unemployed, right? And you kind of have to think, where would I rather be unemployed? And in New York, you can't step out your door without spending a hundred dollars. I agree. You don't want to stay in your apartment because it's so teeny. Right. Uh, so you're just kind of doomed. And so I'm glad I'll be going there with work. It'll be a different experience, right. I'm sure, and I'll probably enjoy it a lot more. But the two months I spent there before, I couldn't wait to get back here. What theater is it? It's going to be at the Booth Theater, which is my oh, I know where that is. favorite. Theater. That's I saw Sunday in the Park with George there. Wasn't that also where they did? What was that musical that won the um, the Tony? Was it the Booth? It was about mental health. Oh, next to normal. Next to normal. I think it could be. That, I think that was it's it. a really small. It's a smaller space. It's a, I think just under eight hundred seats in uh-huh. there. So it's a really intimate kind of theater. Uh-huh. The original Elephant Man was was there as well. Really? Uh, back in the 70s. So it's... Uh, what part are you playing? I love it. I'm doing... Uh, there's a few multi-character tracks in it. Um, so I'm doing one of those. So I have three three parts. It's usually four parts, but they... Uh, I think... Because we did it a few summers ago up in Williamstown. We've already done this production. So this is kind so, of... Oh, a, so that's how you got hooked up with that. Yes, yes, yes. Got I, it. I, uh, I saw they were doing it. I knew the director, Scott Ellis who does a lot of stuff in New York. I had just met him a few months before mm-hmm. and saw he was directing it, and I just got in touch and said, can I put myself on tape right. for these little things? Because right. I knew the three big parks they'd be using, you know, Bradley and Patricia Clarkson and Alessandro Nivola, who's awesome. They, God, they were Patricia doing those three. Oh, she's amazing. So much. She's amazing. She's like a national treasure. She really is. That's a good way to put it. You know? I agree. There's a lot of people that are like that. I mean, obviously, Meryl Streep's a national treasure. Uh, that's an easy one. Yeah. But then you got somebody like, like her... Like Patricia Clarkson, where you, you look at her and you think, you've just been 
just a journeyman. Yeah. You've just been just cruising. there all the time. You're right. right. Yeah. Right. And no matter what you're doing, it's it's like so many of the Steppenwolf guys. Mm-hmm. You worked with Gary Sinise on one of the. Uh, I worked you? on. Well, I I finally worked with him on uh, CSI New York. Right. I had a, right. an episode of that with him. Yeah. But yeah, but no, I, I agreed. There were guys like well, like Jeff Perry for me was you know when I was in Chicago. He was my favorite actor there. Isn't so the he actors, awesome? And at the time, you know, he was somebody nobody knew. And that's what right. I loved about him in a way, too. Right. And actually, when I got out here, when I first, my very first audition I had for Queer as Folk back in 2000 uh, was just, you know, a general audition with Linda Lowy and mm-hmm. John Brace who were casting it. Right. And somehow, I guess Linda saw on my resume that I was from Chicago and we talked about Chicago. And I brought up the fact that Jeff Perry, you know, this guy, this actor, Nobody knows him. He's my favorite actor. And she said, oh, that's funny. I'm married to him. Right, right. Um, so, but yeah, but I've always been drawn to people yeah. like that. And but I think Jeff, if, I, let's just talk about Jeff Perry for a minute because he's yeah. a friend of mine. Oh, yeah. And I really, I, and he's just one of the nicest. Have you, you've I've met him a few times. But you know, I haven't worked. No, no, no. I, I, and we've talked about that. I've just missed him. I went into, uh, I did Picasso in Chicago. Uh-huh. But just where? after he left. At, oh, yeah, at, at Steppenwolf uh-huh. in the original run of it. Right. Uh, and, and he was and, in it. And, no, he had just, but he had just left Jim Ortlieb had taken over the part. Got it. So uh, we kind Jim of, Ortlieb. Yes, another great guy. And God we kind of kept it. missing yeah. each uh-huh. other. So we've right. never worked together, but I would love right. to. I think he's amazing. God, he's such a nice guy. Yeah. And Jim Ortlieb, there's another guy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the Chicago guys. The Chicago guys. All of them. Are you still writing with Eddie? Eddie yes. Jemison? You're still writing with him? We haven't written something in a while. He's been writing his own things. Right, tonight he's got that movie. Uh, Sunday. 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 Night. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Sunday. It's I might be King able Paris. to go now. Oh, good. I saw the movie. Oh, you did see it? Yeah, Isn't I saw great? the movie. He gave, me a, he gave me a video of the movie. King of Herrings, right? King of Herrings, yes. Yeah. God, I love that movie. Yeah, it's ama- It's very, you know, it's very early Jim Jarmusch. And, right. And he's done an amazing job. Yeah, we, um, we kind of, we wrote. Uh, one thing together, we have two or three other ideas we've talked about of things to write with over the years, but we ended up, and, and that came about just, I was up in Toronto working, and I think I was watching Royal Tenenbaums for like the 12th time or something, and I, and I loved Rushmore and all those things, and just you know the camaraderie that, that Wes Anderson has with the Wilson brothers and all that kind of thing, and I just, I called up Eddie, I said, we've known each other so long, it is stupid we haven't worked on something together, and right. so we wrote uh, a screenplay for a thing called Weeping Willow, uh, got in 2006, and it's just one of those things like everybody loves it, and, pe- and because it's set in the 20s in the world of burlesque, and then in silent films and all this stuff, and people have said, "I have no idea who's going to make this thing," so it never got done. But everybody right. loves it. Oh, well, let's just talk, let's just take yeah. a moment there, just to think, think the idea of pursuing a pro- writing a project. Because did you know that going into it? Did you? Yes, we you said yeah. Well, when we sat down. Uh, I, I said to him, in fact, because you know we were trying to come up with this, and I'd had this this notion kind of came to me, mm-hmm. mostly because I hate learning lines and I wanted to play a mute, tell me about a it. mute character. Tomorrow Are you the same I'm way? going. Uh, well, t- I, I'll tell you. Why tomorrow you I've got this shoot that I'm doing, and I don't ever memorize lines. And there's just page after page after page. And today I'm not feeling well, and I'm thinking I bet it's because I'm worried about tomorrow. Probably. Oh, the stress of it is terrible. Right. Uh, I've always, I'm glad we're talking about it because yeah. I was thinking. What was do you thinking, do? What what do you have a usual process of how you? I stand it? in the kitchen. I go through my lines. I'm glad we're talking about the process. Yeah. I stand in the kitchen, go through my lines, and then I go check out Facebook. <laughs> Isn't that what everyone does? That's yeah, exactly. Well, that's a very writer's. That's how a writer you know works <laughs> exactly. too, right? Right. Couple but, sentences. But, but yeah, but I'm at the other end of it. Yeah. I'm at where the dialogue is. <clears throat> that's funny. so. I go through it. I go through it, and then I spend a lot of time, probably more time. Uh, 
angsting over it than I do looking at actually the doing it. Oh, I yeah. do. It's so what's your process? Procrastinating. It's very similar. Yeah. Um, it depends. You know, and I don't know. You know how you feel about what you're learning now. If it's written well, uh-huh. it's easy. Well, this is the thing. It was, it was a, uh, it was a Kickstarter. It's called the group, and I play a charismatic uh, leader of a, uh, a self help group, awesome. and we, we, uh, uh, we improvised it. And they recorded it, and we oh, got great. a pilot. I'm uh, not a pilot. We got a, you know, a scratch track, if you will, yeah. of it, and then they use that for, um, they use that for the Kickstarter program, Wonderful. and then they we we got it funded, and then they wrote from that. So a lot of the words are my words. Oh, good. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to remember. No, but it may help it a little bit. At right. least, I, you know, it's for tomorrow. me, yeah. For oh, for me, I have to speak. I, I can't sit down. You know, if it's a play. I don't memorize until we've fully blocked the thing. Right. I, I can't. I need to like associate the words with the movement, and and I need to have spoken the words. They need to have come out of my mouth enough that it that it's it's in the brain already. Right. Some. And so similarly with something, you know, if it's a guest spot thing, or whatever. Yeah, it's. I, I need to just kind of say it out loud a bunch and right. and, and take my time with it. And I think the take my time with it thing is the big thing to take my time with it because yeah. I find myself rushing through the paragraph saying, "Let's just get." You know, as opposed to, let's listen, David, to what it is. And what I also did was, if you and I are in a scene and your dialogue has a word that is in my next line, I will highlight your dialogue and go, listen to that. I I will redline that and I will listen to that and then we'll take it from there. Does, do you find that as helpful because of your improv background too? Because you're used, to, you're so used to listening. Exactly. You, you need those those clues. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's immensely helpful. And I think, yeah. you know, the more you understand, obviously, what you're saying, you know, I feel like I keep getting so many, uh, at least guest star parts that are crazy scientists or something. You like that, do that a lot of crazy scientists. So much mumbo yeah. jumbo, you right. know, to speak. But in some ways, I like it better because it forces you. I have to look up what you know all these bones are, or right. what, what this is, or what you know what the technical stuff they're talking about. I need to fully understand, and that helps me memorize it better. Right. You know, in some ways, that stuff is easier to memorize than uh, the more interpersonal dialogue. Sure, sure, uh, especially if the person before you ends on an ellipsis. Yes. Because <laughs> you know that pressure, you got to yeah. jump in there. Yeah. So you and Eddie wrote this. So Eddie thing. and I wrote this thing. But, but my question yeah. really was about Chicago. People. No, 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 no. It was even. It was a different question. The idea of when you write this thing. Yeah. You're writing it knowing that it's going to be. It might be difficult for somebody for, to produce this. Yes. Because and when we sat down, I, I said to him, in fact, Eddie. To Eddie, I said to Eddie, you know. I don't, I'm not interested. We, we could easily write, you know, two actors sitting in a diner talking. Right. That's not unique. That's not us. We both are kind of history nerds. We right. both have, you know, unique sensibilities of things. And so let's use that. And, and we didn't worry about that. And in fact, it, it, you know, Eddie um, at the time was still working on the Oceans films. Right. And I, so we had finished, uh, Oceans, we had finished Oceans, Oceans 11, 11, 12, 12, and 13. 13. And I, I'm trying to remember which one, but we had finished writing it. And he, at the craft service table, you know, classic Hollywood story, brought it up to George Clooney while they were just hanging out talking. And he asked him, what are you working on? He said, oh, I've just finished writing this screenplay with my friend Scott. And he described it to him. And George was like, wow, that really sounds great. And Eddie, you know, what are, you, what are your agents, what are your, what's your team doing with it? And he said, well, you know, they're having a tough time with it because of this, this, and that. And Clooney looked at him and said, well, you knew that when you wrote it. And then he walked away. (laughs) (laughs) 
And, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, one little word from him could have helped. But, you know, I, I still, I'm happier that I wrote that. I, I still hope it gets made. We have thoughts of, you know, maybe adapting it into a theater piece someday. Right. Um, I'm but immensely it's the idea proud of I'm not. Uh, of, of doing it because you're inspired to do it yeah. because you have to do it. You're doing it because you have to do it. Yeah. Well, and you know, and things have changed so much in the business now where it feels like you can't just, uh, as you well know, I mean, you have to teach. You have to write. So you, you can't just be an actor anymore. It Has it always been that way? No, I don't think you so. Don't think I mean, so? No, I mean, you look back, I mean, how many, did Robert De Niro have to write his own web series? I mean, <laughs> not to compare us to that, but right. I think there were plenty of actors who for a long period of their career, before they got into a place where they could maybe start producing things, they didn't need to go out and create their own product to sell themselves. Mm -hmm. um, parts just, you know, they just kept auditioning and, right. yeah, and getting parts. Something has changed now um, to where you really have to make your own way, and the question is, how are you going to do that? And are you going to, you know, create something just to get yourself out there, or are you going to create something that still means something to you? Because, and I'm sure as you know, as you, as you write, if you're writing something you feel like you have to write, or like if you have to learn these lines, right. as opposed to you want to do right. it, right? It's a big difference. I think that also it's it's a, it's a spiritual. Uh, it, it's going into it with a spiritual feeling of instead of saying I have to remember these lines, I have to memorize these lines. Saying I get to memorize these lines. Yes, exactly. I get to memorize. I get to write this part. I get to memorize these lines. And yeah. I've mentioned before in the podcast the idea of uh, when you look at things in that way. Now, me, I'm very aware of saying things like ah, historic. Uh, normally, I have trouble memorizing the lines right. because what does that do? That yeah. just makes me hold on to. It sets your patterns. It sets your patterns. Yeah. And I think a lot of people. Don't understand the idea that at any point you want to break your pattern, you break your pattern. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's up to you to do it, just even by changing how you speak about something. And, and that's exactly it. And I believe that I, I, I tend to be infuriating to certain people because I, uh, I'm aware of them saying things like, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm always having trouble remembering lines. And I go, really? Always? <laughs> How does that feel to, to hold on to that bullshit and bring all that stuff right, in right exactly. now? Exactly. Or um, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling like I'm just not getting any work anymore. Yeah. And I go and wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do you want to say that? Yeah. Well, as if it matters. It does matter. Yeah. Because a couple of things happen when you hear somebody say something like that. You go, well, I don't want to hang out with you. Uh, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, just, they're you know, cloud. Why, they're black right. cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. As opposed to. Um, I'm going to get some work. Yeah. I'm getting work. Work's coming. It's, it's already been, here. Yeah. It's been challenging lately, but I think I'm up for the challenge. Absolutely. <laughs> However you want to and say And that's it. the whole thing, because when you said it's been challenging lately, mm -hmm. there's one feeling that I get, and then when you said I'm up for the challenge, that's a different feeling than I have. Yeah. And I am writing all of your words. I am not writing. I am writing mm -hmm. all of your words. I am writing the emotion that goes with all of your words. So mm -hmm. when you say things like, it's been challenging, I'm going, mm, and then you say, uh, but I'm writing, or whatever, whatever however right. you put it, yeah. but uh, I'm up for the challenge. Mm -hmm. And I go, up. Yeah. Challenge. Up. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm up with you on Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And, and we have to. I mean, you know, it's, there are too many challenges to not, you know, to not face them and, yeah. and, and say, okay. And yeah, exactly. It's, and I know, and I think everyone learns this from experience as you go on. If you have an experience where you know you're heading into something like, oh God, I got to go do this thing. As opposed to, as you said, like, aren't I lucky that I'm able to do this? Right. You know? What is that thing for you? What is the thing I'm looking to get to do? Yeah, when you say, oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, I mean, invariably auditioning for something. Uh -huh. I, 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 uh, Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I don't, it's a process I don't enjoy a l often. I, there are times I love it, 
when it's good and you click and all that kind of stuff, but there's sometimes it's work. Right. It's just work and you don't have enough time to really invest in it and really figure it out in a way that feels, you're just there showing a sketch. Um, right. And you know, and it's all about, <clears throat> I often quote, um, and, it, and it may be apocryphal, the story about John Lovett supposedly, that when he, he goes into an audition and uh, you, know, you reach that somewhat awkward moment after you finish your read and you're kind of staring at the casting director or the director and wondering, do they want to give you an adjustment? Do they want you to do something else? And you kind of don't know what to do or say. And I guess the story had been passed down to me that he supposedly, you know, will finish, uh, finish doing his reading. And I'll just kind of look at the people and say, well, you talk it over and let me know. And then he walks out. And I love that story and I tell it all the time. And I, again, I don't know if it's true, but that sums up. If you can walk in and feel that way, like, here's, here's my presentation. Here's what I think about this character. Right. Here's, my, here's my take on it. Right. You do with it, do with it what you will, it's and so just walk out. You know, because what you're talking about there is having uh, is is non-attachment. Mm. You're saying you do what it is that you do, and that's what it is that you do. You yes. did what it is that you did, and that's all, and that's what you did, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to I do what it is that I do, and then I carry that around with me for the rest of the fucking day, right? Or I did exactly what it is that I did, and then I analyze what it was that I did for the rest of the fucking day. Yes, and and, uh, and that to me, it's uh, I'm I'm uh, intolerant to um, avocados. So I just can't eat them. Okay. I mean, I do eat them, but I have to know that the more that it's I eat... It's not you're angry at them. They just, no. They don't, I don't know. They I, don't serve your system I, well. I have to say, I'd rather not talk about this because a, a big constituency are avocados of people who listen to my show. I understand. So I really don't want to get involved in that. So, <laughs> and, big, and big avocado, you know, they oh. can... They can oh, uh, that Haas can be a fucker, but I... It, listen, <laughs> listen, Haas. I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, <laughs> I was able to name an avocado. That does. Um, but so I am uh, I'm allergic to avocados and I'm not allergic I'm intolerant of avocados I can eat them but they make me and I think that's one of the reasons I'm feeling murky today mm -hmm. is I had an avocado yesterday hmm. and my point is this uh, my point is this I will I will I will eat that knowing that that can make me sick there are words that people use or things that people do that make them sick. Those things like, I really have to go over in my head every fucking step of that audition. And what's happening is while you're doing that, you're making yourself sick yep. because you're dwelling on it. Right, right. So if you do the work ahead of time where you can walk out and feel like you talk it over and let me know, right. then it's great. So that's, that's the work, you know, is beforehand to get yourself to a place where you can walk in and just say, I don't know if this is exactly your take. This is what I think about the guy, right. and, he, and here it is. Um, and that's where it can get difficult sometimes when the material you're, you're faced with, with you know, three or four hours to prepare it the night before, that's where it gets tough, and that's where I kind of, that, that's what's hard for me sometimes, is to feel like either there's not enough time or the material is so, I don't know. It's hard to find your unique take on it, I guess, or you know, where it's it's so on the nose right. that you know exactly what the, you, they want, but you kind of not you're not interested in doing that. You right. know, those kind of things where I get a little like uh, it takes it takes some effort to get myself up for that. It's interesting because I would imagine that every occupation has that one thing. Mm -hmm. Every occupation where somebody, a plumber will say, oh, look at a project and say, oh, that's really interesting. I'd love to do that. Right. But then there's another project where, where the plumber has to go underneath the sink and do the thing that the plumbers right. always have to do. Absolutely. Like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So we all have those things that we do that other people look at and go, well, you're working. And it's like, yeah, 
I am. Yeah, I am. But I I've got am. a three-hour commute to kind That's of another thing, you know, all too. that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, that idea there. of, I think a lot of actors, for me, what got me, what made me go, oh, I fucking can't take it anymore, <laughs> was the driving. Uh -huh. The driving uh -huh. and the driving. Yeah. And what ended up happening, Scott, was I just drove myself out of an agent and uh, an agent. And I don't care. That's great. Because I've got this other thing. Absolutely. You have, you have a way to use your talents and use your skills in a way that still satisfies you. Right. Uh, and, and without having to, yeah, sacrifice part of your soul, as it were. To, but, it's, you know. but it's an evolution. Mm -hmm. You know, you've evolved up to this point of what it is that you're doing. So right. you're at peace with what it is that you're doing. Right. There are certain things that you do or do not like to do. And there's right. things that you do or do not like to do them. But you're mindful of having them and owning them and doing that. Right. As opposed to when you first come out here, which is so full of ignorance and fear. Yes. Yeah, and, and you can see people who keep on that track for a long time. And it's that difficulty, and I'm sure you, you face this as well, especially as you get older and you have friends who you know, have come up with you and you've worked together for so many years. And you, I don't know, I mean, I'm never one to ever want to squash somebody's dreams, squash their butterfly, however yuck, you want to yuck. say it. Yeah. Um, but you look at them and they're living their life for decades in the same way, you know, struggling, slugging along, you know, not living life because they either can't afford to or they're so singularly focused on this thing that just doesn't seem to be coming their way, regardless of how talented they are right. or, or how skilled they are. Right. It's just not happening. And, you know, you find yourself and, and so you sit with them and you hear them uh, uh, you know, say the same thing over and over again of, oh, this sucks and that sucks and, you know, and everything is so difficult. And how do you find a way to say without squashing their yum, did you call it? Yucking their yum. Yucking their yum. Without yucking their yum to say maybe it's time to find another path. Or, what if it wasn't know? maybe it's time to find another path? Maybe yeah. it's find another path. Yeah. Because the maybe, we're going back to those words. Right, that's true. The maybe is the part where you're being polite. Yeah, that's very true. And, 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 and uh, find another path. Yeah. And I don't mean to, to sound callous, because that's you, not what it is. Have you been faced with that? Um, with someone? Well, as an actor, as a teacher, yeah. I, I, oh, uh, sure. I come up with, uh, a lot of people come up, you know, I, I will say to people, straight out, your fear is causing you to not move forward. Mm. And I will not couch it in, maybe your fear is causing you. Because right. I will say straight up, your fear is causing you to not move forward. Right. And uh, some people, <laughs> somebody called it uh, an aggressive loving. Because I will go into that <laughs> and I will say, I will clearly say that to them. Like, they need to hear this right now. And if you want to think that I'm being callous, yeah. well, then I invite you also to say, let's step away from that and see if you look at that without, without saying that I'm here. That, this is a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to my therapist about this, the idea that we spend so much time defending ourselves, hmm. And I don't mean defending ourselves. I Our mean defending ourselves. Yes. That self, that story, that personality, that picture of who it is that we are. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot, one spends a lot of time defending that self. Absolutely. And that self is bullshit, and that self does not exist. Huh. And so if you at one point say, I'm not going to defend myself, 
Because if I'm afraid that you're going to say something that's going to hurt myself, uh-huh. do you understand what I mean? Yes, yes. Then if I'm afraid that you're going to say something that's going to hurt myself, I've got to stop and say, what is myself? Hmm. Because there is no self. Mm-hmm. Nobody goes to the hospital to get a self-adjustment. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not like, oh, myself is bleeding. I better put a splint on myself. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And I think that once people realize that they have a choice in... I think once people realize that they have a choice in saying, I am going to engage in defending myself, my ego, my personality, or I'm going to, for this moment here, say, oh, my God, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. That story that I thought was going to happen where I was going to become the king of Paramount yeah. Pictures uh-huh. is not going to motherfucking happen. Right. And breaking through that armor, though, that's around the self... I mean, that's only if, you, because we, there if you're is no, with, but there is no armor around the self. Yeah. You think so? No. There's nothing around the self. There is no self. What armor would be around the self? Like, what is it? Is it like, is it concrete? We know it's not. No, no. Is it biological? We know it's not. But it's years of, um, years of convincing yourself. I think, like you said, with your story... It's breaking through layers of that, I feel like, to kind of get someone to be free of that. And, and again, I guess when you, when you talk about that I'm being polite by throwing maybe in there, I am because that's, that's my fear and that's my thing of how do I say this in a way that it's your decision? Like, I don't feel it should be my decision to tell you. If you're telling me what the fuck is happening, all the bullshit things that are happening to you uh-huh. over and over and over again, uh-huh. me, that, my telling you that is not for you. That's for me. Right. That's me telling you, um, listen, stop it. I can't take it anymore. Right. I cannot sit here anymore. Right. And hear this from you. And not to say it necessarily in that way. Right. But I, and I think that because I've been working on myself for so, myself yes. for so long, <laughs> um, there, I don't see what those layers are. There aren't layers. And, if, and how do you peel those layers away if there are indeed layers? Well, how do you do it for someone else, I guess, is what I'm asking. Well, for me, it's, it's a matter of all that, I can do is, all that I can do is expose you to the concept of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. That's all I can do mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. awareness, is presentness of, of being here, of being present to that maybe that you say. Right. Right. And that's, I think, uh, I see what you're saying. And I think, you know, in some ways I, I have done that in terms of just saying, here's, here's what I hear from you all the time. You know, just to kind of mirror back, this is what I'm getting. Right. Maybe you're not aware of this. But this is what I'm hearing Great. all the time from you. Right. Um, <laughs> right. You, you know, how, how do you break that? How do you... How, how, how do who break who? What? How, you know, how, how, you know, and I'm asking them, how do you then break, you asking them? break that pattern? I know? see. Because, again, it's that difficulty of, you know, even though I might, you know, in my, in my mind be thinking, you need to find something else. That's so hard for me to say to somebody. I understand I understand. Uh, one of the things that I hear a lot of people, one of the things that I, I, I hear a lot of people doing is this. How do I break through all that stuff? How do I break through that stuff? Mm-hmm. And that stuff all exists in the past. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff exists in the past. You can't unpast it. 
There's no way to unpacify, unpacify yourself. True. All that you can do is just go, I'm cutting right through to now. Mm. Because if I keep saying, well, okay, let's talk about your dad, and let's talk about your dad's dad, and let's talk about your mom's relationship to your dad's right. dad, and all that, that fucked up stuff, right. that, none of that discussion is going to change anything. All that I can do is make you aware of that thing that you just said. Mm-hmm. I can't get work anymore. I heard a woman say, I'm a 45-year-old woman, and there's no parts written for me. I won't work again. And I wanted to lose my motherfucking mind on that person <laughs> to go, stop it. Just yeah. stop it. Yeah. Because right there, you're holding on to that as opposed to saying all those years of whatever it is don't motherfucking matter. Right. I'm here now. All that The only thing that matters is it's brought me to here and made me the person I am right now, and what am I going to do with that? Right. And the question of what am I going to do with that isn't what's my five-year plan. No. So go fuck your five-year plan. Yeah. It's what am I going to do with that right now. Right. And then I would pull back at that moment for me. I would pull back and say, okay, let's do this. Let's take the, the, let's take the blinkers, the blinders, whatever you want to call that, that mm-hmm. go on the side of horses' heads, mm-hmm. and let's remove them. And let's start seeing a picture that's larger than the picture that you've put upon yourself. So you say, I have to be a television star. Right. Let's just say this. What else do you enjoy doing? That's all I'm asking you. Uh-huh. What else do you enjoy doing? Because right now you're saying that you are here put on this earth to be that one thing. Right. Well, if I said to you, Scott, Scott, you know what you are? Nobody likes what's about to come from that sentence. Right. Because I am pigeonholing him. Absolutely. So what I think people tend to do is, is pigeonhole themselves. Mm. Sure. Oh, absolutely. I think everybody does that. Everybody typecasts themselves in a way. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm the this. I'm the guy who never, you know, never gets the girl. I'm the guy who never, you know, I mean, we're, it's all, you know, we're all But what if part. we didn't say that? Absolutely. Well, that's what you have to do. You have to kind get of. Get to do. Get to do. That's a good way. That's absolutely right. That's a place to put that. Get to do, yeah. That's what you get to do. Yeah. You get to say, I'm, you know what I'm the kind of guy? I'm the kind of guy who doesn't say I'm the kind of guy. Right. And I think, you know, in all this work, this is wonderful. I'm loving what I'm seeing in the work you've done on yourself. Um, because it's, it's, especially in what we have to go through out here and how much we rely on other people or can't, you know, or, or allow ourselves to let other people tell us who we are and what we can do and what we can't do. You have to find a way to to steal yourself against that by. But it's not stealing yourself. I don't think, do you think because what you're saying is yeah. when you say steal yourself, I I understand what that phrase means, but I also believe that so often steal yourself means needs to to put up put barriers. A, no, no, no. Okay, what do you say? I mean, strengthen your spine. Do you know what I mean? To to, to uh-huh. um. Or it's that kind of, or what, what you were speaking about of just you know letting it go. That right. it's like it's not. Then that's not strengthening your spine. That's yeah. loosening your spine. I guess so. Do you know, you know what I mean? Because when I straighten my spine, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all stiff. Yeah. But when I loosen my spine, I'm like, well, I could go this way or I could go that way. <laughs> and true. I know that we're saying that it's just uh, semantics. No, no, no. But, but that's, a very good, that's important, though. I mean, those kind of words matter. You're right. And I think there is more of a looseness to it. And I guess, yeah, in my mind, I do see it as I need the strength sometimes to get through it. And you're right. If you can be a little more flexible. You can be more flexible, not mm-hmm. a little more flexible. Mm-hmm. If you, no, not even that. If you can be flexible... Yeah. As opposed to a little more flexible, yeah. as opposed to more flexible. Uh-huh. Just flexible. If you, if, when you can be flexible. Yes. 
I should be lying down. On a well, <laughs> it's so interesting to me because yeah. it is that infuriating thing that I think a lot of people. Because I'm I'm listening to everything that you're saying. Well, and it's, but especially for, you know for you dealing with students all the time too. I mean, it's stuff you have to hear all the time and get to hear. Get to hear all the time. <laughs> it's something because I really I enjoy ch- doing I do it. Chalkboard. Yeah, because I don't have to do any of it. Right. That's true. Yeah. No, you're very fortunate. You're and right. I also look at that and I think, oh, I am looking forward to listening to you. Uh-huh. I'm really looking forward to listening to you. Yeah. And it's such a blast to do because then you go, oh, what are you, what's going to happen now? Right, I right. What's going to happen now? Absolutely. Look what's happening now. Look what's happening right now. I wonder what's going to happen now. Do you think you've gotten to be a better teacher because of all this work? I mean, all this, if, prior to going through all this stuff, was it more difficult for you as a teacher to kind of be there for your students in this way? I think a major part of it was, it's a really good question, I think a major part of it was me acknowledging the fact that I am enjoying being a teacher more than I enjoy being a struggler. Right. The struggler being getting in the car and going to Abbott Kinney at 4 o'clock on a Friday uh, afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or on a Saturday and doing this douchebag fucking audition in, in Simi Valley. Like, what am I doing here? Right. You know, where it's like part-time stable and part-time production office. Right. You know, you know that place. Absolutely. You know, go to Sunland. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. I do. And it's, you know, and it's where, you know, it's, it's good to see that you, you know, you understand the, the blessings you have of getting to teach. And you also have so many venues where you get to perform as well, too. So you've, you've created for yourself a wonderful world, a wonderful creative world, where, you know, which is really, again, that's a rare thing. And that's where, you know, I think, you know, someone saying I'm a 45-year-old actress and there's nothing for me. It's like, you can create these worlds for yourself. Where, it's what you and Eddie did yeah. just from wanting to do it. Absolutely. And, and that's why, that we're, nice, we're circling back, because that was the original impetus. Like, I don't care if anybody ever sees this or I want to go through this process with you. And we had a blast. Right. Um, and it's been different, you know, and since then we've both been writing on our own. I know for me, I like it, but it's a lot harder and it's a lot less fun. Right. You know, than, oh, it, sure. was, than it was, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. Yeah. Like when you're writing with a partner, you know, there's an exciting energy and you build off of each other and, you know, and someone will be sitting at the computer and then someone else will start riffing and then, then it'll change and the person who will say, get, get away, let me type, you go. And, you know, and right. you just, and that energy and that excitement that we, we built and because we offset each other and we, Eddie is terrific, as you've seen from the movie, his dialogue is amazing and that stuff just flows out of him so yeah. easily. Uh, that's harder for me, but I'm really good at plotting and ideas and structure and that kind of stuff. And so we, were, we are a great team in that way. And, and like I said, we have two or three other things, but you know, life and and uh, other projects have kind of kept us from doing it right. some more. But um, it's really for me. I get really excited about the world of possibilities, and I always get really excited about. Oh, I don't have the time right now to do this. I don't have the space in my schedule to do this. This, which is what I would love to do. Absolutely, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. And even when you're, even if you're sitting around, and, you, and, and by the time you give yourself, oh, I'm just going to relax and veg out, and watch TV. You get through with that, and you go like, Oh, I could have done that, but you, but you need that too. You know, you right. have to give yourself the time to go and, and yeah. just do that, but it does feel like there's not enough time to kind of get to all these things. I, do you regret things? I try not to. That's one, that's, that's something I, I really work on. I have a few 
few things I regret, but I try not to, honestly. I, I don't understand the idea of regret. Mm -hmm. the idea, what brought me was you sitting on the, on the couch watching this thing and going, yeah. oh, I really wish I'd done that. Um, I, I don't feel that there's regret because I don't think that we're airdropped into the middle of our life. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> the fact is that everything that I've done was led, uh, I, everything, every place that I'm in had a moment before. Absolutely. That was connected to a moment before. That was connected yes. to a moment before. So anytime that there's this feeling of, oh, I wish I didn't do that, it's like you're taking that experience out of context. And you never know, especially as a creative person, where inspirations, I mean, often, you know, I have watched some show and that sparks something else for me. Or you go through an incident out in your life, even getting in a car crash or, or what have you. Or just getting in your car. Or getting in your car. And inspiration will hit or something you're doing will create a story for you. Whatever it is, you never know what moment is going to come next for you that may lead to something else. And so, yeah, you have to kind of dive into it and try to, you know, be in the now and, and take it all in and focus oh, on it. It's just so important. And, yeah. and certainly in the middle of my memorizing these lines, yes. I am memorizing my lines. I am not on set not remembering my lines. Right. And what a curious thing, too, to be memorizing lines you've already spoken. Oh, clearly. <laughs> D. Ryan and I did a show. Uh, there's a guy, Russ Lees, who wrote this play called Nixon's Nixon. And Russ, Lee, Russ Lees came to, the, uh, came to a show that D. and I were doing a two-person improv show. And he's mm -hmm. like, I really want to just tape you guys, and I'll craft a show around it. And it was like, great. And so he did, and it was the most impossible thing to memorize because everything ended, in, and then we were interrupted, and then we went, and then we went on this tangent where people, that's the way that people think. It's right. Like, How the fuck am I supposed to memorize any of that? <laughs> I have a question for you. Yes. And, and uh, it's an interesting thing. I, I'm going to name drop here just for a second. Uh, when Carell was, Carell and I did the, the podcast, uh -huh. one of the main things that I really wanted to do was to ask him if he remembered things the way that I remembered them. Uh. You know, we have experience with something. I, am I getting this right? When you were in sheer madness in Chicago, <laughs> okay. that there was no bathroom backstage yes. and you had to pee in a bucket? There wasn't. Even worse than a bucket, there was a Ziploc bags. They had, yes, they, the producers of that show, which ran for something like 20 years How long in were Chicago, you in the show? I only did it for, I want to say, six to eight months. I did it to raise money to come out here because it was the highest paying job in Chicago uh -huh. because... Of this peeing in a bag thing, they—it it was in the uh, ballroom of the old of the Blackstone Hotel, and uh, and they'd kept the show there for twenty something years. And by equity rules, you have to—it's one of those shows where you never leave the stage during intermission because it's interactive. Audience members can talk to you, and uh, and so because of that, by rule, there has to be a bathroom. And if there's not a bathroom, then you get penalized, and they have to pay. Uh, a penalty. So because of that penalty, the job at the time paid something near, I think, $700 a week, which in Chicago was, oh my God. I mean, that was more than Goodman, more than Steppenwolf. It was the Second highest. Second City, pay I think I was pay, getting paid five fifty a week. And you were working far harder than we, <laughs> than we were. But it was all because of that bathroom penalty. But what it was, so the, the, the flats of the, the back of the set were maybe... Um, uh, 10 feet from the wall, if that. And the, so the bathroom area was uh, just between two flats. They put two little half flats and a shower curtain and a chair. And, and I mean, it's so vivid for me still. And this green, you know, um, kind of astroturf carpeting in there. And then uh, a box of Ziploc bags. And so if you, you know, for the lady, I mean... And so there was an older actress, Margie Bank, who was in the show, who was kind of a, you know, a Chicago legend. 
and she had one hip and one eye and she was half deaf and she used to smoke these cigarettes you know with an ash that was about two inches long and she was the sweetest thing but she'd been doing the show forever and uh and she would sit you know our, our kind of we had dressing rooms up in actual hotel rooms in the hotel but then we would come downstairs you know through the back way through the kitchen area and we would wait in a stairwell to then go backstage. And so we'd be sitting in that stairwell all talking and kibitzing and getting ready for the show. And Margie would be smoking her cigarette and, and she'd put it out finally and she'd say, I'm just going to go get my props ready. And we knew everybody knew that meant before every single show, she went back there to pee in a bag. This 81-year-old lady peeing in a Ziploc bag. And I had to make my entrance right next to where that bathroom area was my first entrance so when because I get right back there, there to start, it's right there you literally right you come there. out you come out the the swinging doors that that lead into the beauty parlor and right around the corner is the bath and i have so to walk you by can, that. and your people are peeing Behind the flats. While the show's going While on. While the show's going yeah, on. Yeah, if you really had to go. I, I, I will say in the six or eight months that I was there, I never did. I had one bit of a break in the show, and if I really had to go, I ran up the stairs to a bathroom in a hallway upstairs, and, and I could not pee in a bath. I just couldn't do it. No. But Margie would, bless her soul, before every show, and I'd have to stand right next to that area getting ready to go in and waiting for my cue and kind of ramping myself up, and I would look over and I would see little droplets of water on that little green AstroTurf carpeting and it was just it was just the worst it was terrible it was terrible I saw you in that show and I remember talking to you after the show I think we went out for drinks <laughs> yes and it was it was, it was that was miserable it was really doesn't miserable doesn't that seem like because I, 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 so I, I Scott I believe that I could tell you where we went out for drinks when was that that had to be 1997 was it yeah I so I'd it. already been out here. Yes, because I, I came. I came out here in '98, and I was doing that the Got year before it. I moved out here. Got I it. was doing two very strange things. I was doing audience warm up for the Jenny Jones show, uh-huh. which uh, my friend Paul Strolli had been doing, yeah. and, and he moved out here, and I uh, auditioned and took over for him. And that, I mean, I'm not a stand up. I'm not great at comedy. How I got this job, I don't know, but I did it for a year and a half. So I was doing that and sheer madness at the same time. And it was all to raise the money to move out here because I, everyone had told me, you got to come out with you know six months' worth of money so you don't right. have to worry about getting a job right away. Right. And, th- and this was the way for me to make that money. And, uh, yeah, so it must have been, and I don't remember if it was up in Andersonville or where we went or if it was just No, I think there, we ran around the corner. Yeah. There was a, there was a bar around the corner because I remember s- sitting at a bar. I can't remember who came with us. It was but... a crazy show. It was a tough show to do. I You know, I had been... For those who know, I mean, it's this interactive murder mystery comedy set in a beauty parlor. Kind of improvised. Kind of improvised, but actually had, like, the improvisation was actually written into the script. There Uh were moments in the script where we were supposed to crack up. Right. That's written into the script. I mean, that's how controlled this thing was. But we threw that out. The, the, The producer of the show hated me because I kind of... But they suckered me into that. I, I would had been cast originally in, a, in one of the suspects' role, this sleazy uh, antiques dealer or something. Um, but they had been, unbeknownst to me, kind of grooming me to take over the very queeny, very femmy uh, salon owner, Tony, mm-hmm. uh, who's kind of the, the main force in the show, the force of nature. And they kind of sprung that on me at one point in time said, all right, we want you to take over this part. And I kind of said at the time, I don't know how I felt so strongly about this, but I did. I said, I I feel like I might as well be out there in blackface playing, perpetuating that kind of a stereotype of this super faggy guy. 
I said, I'm not, I don't know if I can do that. And they said, well, we've already cast someone else on your part, so if you don't want to do it, then you're out of a job. And I said, I'll take it. <laughs> so I did it, and the only way I reconciled myself to it was I, I convinced myself I was Bugs Bunny. Right. And just it was play, a character. played right. it like Bugs Bunny, like how Bugs Bunny would put on a wig and do stuff. And, right. I, and I just went with it with that. But it was awful because little kids would come up to you during intermission and just be like, are you a fag for real? I mean, just awful. And then you do Queer as Folk. And then I do Queer as Folk. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that was my, uh, my soul being cleansed somehow. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it was you, right. But, but there's also something about you doing that Shermanis part, that queen, that, that, that very, the queenie part. Yeah. And then doing, and then your soul at that moment is being educated as to what really spiritually what, it's what, like. that, what that's like. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so when you do get this part on Queer as Folk, you're not coming in. No, that's true. I didn't even think of that. Again, like what we were just saying earlier, you know, who never knows what's going to lead to what. That did lead me to have a greater sensitivity in doing the show, even when we initially started. Because um, when we, I mean, we were up there filming, and we were filming maybe the third or fourth episode when the press kind of started. And it was Newsweek and Time and like all these people coming up to talk to us. And so, you know, the, the heads of Showtime and our producers kind of sat us down and said, all right, guys. This is going to start pretty soon, and you, and this is what you're going to be faced with. And mm -hmm. and again, I, I hadn't taken in the huge cultural relevance of the show. Well, I just, you were I was, do, you I was were doing just a great show. I was happy to be working, and I right. loved the character, and right. I loved the people I was working with. Right. But all of a sudden, the weight of that started hitting me. And you know, they said, "Look, one of the big questions you're going to be asked is, are you gay or not? You right. know, you, you're going to have to decide for yourself what do you want to expose of your own personal life in these interviews." And I think because of the sensitivity I felt from doing that and also from seeing other actors uh, play gay parts, especially on TV, and how they would respond to that question a lot, which I found kind of offensive. Which, you know, it was almost always, you know, making sure you know I'm straight. I'm playing this gay guy, but I'm straight as if it's... And so I That's what I'm talking about, yeah, defending the self. Defending the self. And so I decided, you know, when I was asked for that, myself and uh, at least uh, one of the other straight actors in the show, we... We said, you know what, the character is gay, that's all you need to know right now. You'll get to know me later on. Because right. I didn't want, because I find it, as an audience member, it's a barrier for me if I have to think like, oh, there's that straight actor playing a gay guy, right. rather than, I just want to buy this character. I just right. want to believe in this person. Plus, it's also a little insulting to say like, hey, I'll play a gay guy, but I don't want you to think I am. Right. Um, so I'm always a little wary of those who have to make sure you know it didn't. It didn't matter to me, and I think you may be right. It may be. I mean, I have my sister is gay. I have a lot of gay friends in my life, but it may have been also some of that ick factor that I felt in doing sheer madness right. and playing that part in sheer madness and playing such a stereotype and seeing how people respond to that made me very, very sensitive to right. the, to the subject. Yeah. Did you? I bet you you have because anybody who's been an actor has been aware of this story. Uh, Ken uh, on Hudson Roof at the Santa Clarita, mm -hmm. right? So the story is that yes. somebody's playing uh, Big Daddy, yes, and Brick uh -huh. is a gay man, yes. The, 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 the actor character. Brick, yes, but the actor's also oh the actor's also gay. Uh, the actor's also gay, uh -huh. and someone in the audience because apparently you could get loaded in this theater, get drunk <laughs> in this theater, it's always and a people got drunk, and the producers came up at, at intermission and said, there are people that are drunk out there. I mean, we've never had as loaded a house as we have tonight. And somebody kept shouting, faggot, to, to the, the actor, actor. playing um, uh, Brick. Uh -huh. And the guy playing Big Daddy was like, he was pushed. Yeah. John Lacey. Yes. Uh, he was pushed. Do you know John Lacey? No, I don't. Okay. I mean, I know who he is. If you saw him, yeah. If you saw him, you go, oh, that guy. Yeah. Um... He's done a lot of commercials, that guy. Yes. Anyway, 
uh, he was pushed to the point of getting off stage and losing his shit on this guy. And, guy, and yeah. anybody who's ever done a show knows what that fucking feeling is mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it's tough. And I've had some people ask me about that. And I didn't. I'm, this is. I'm getting more details from you about. I didn't know that the actor himself was gay. Um, uh, because, yeah, it's a strange thing. And, and it was interesting to hear that there were actors in the show who were upset with him for oh, doing yeah. that. Well, um, one of the ladies, the women that were in the, was in that company, that was her boyfriend. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> right, right. I mean, to me, it's also like, who's coming to a cat in a hot tin roof and to heckle it? I mean, exactly, like, what, right, what right. are you coming to that? And also surprised, like, wait, he's gay? What like, a, a Tennessee, Tennessee Williams play with gay? somebody gay in what? it? What? So there what? was so much about that story that baffled me. It's like, I don't know what I think about this. It is so crazy that you couldn't write... You no. could not write that somebody. Okay, this is what, this is the story here. It's Ken on a hot tin roof, or whatever any any kind of Tennessee Williams play. Ken on yeah. a hot tin roof, and uh, uh, there's uh, you know, uh, uh, right, 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 and people just go crazy because I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I just came here to have a nice steak dinner. Exactly. I'm just here because I like plays about humidity. Yes, exactly. It's so hot here. It's so humid. And Another my girlfriend's going to be in a slip, exactly. and I want to see that. Right. Because she don't do that at home. Oh my God. And. The idea, oh, wow, uh, but really I think different. for me the big thing was the house met. I think so many people that I talked to certainly at Second City. There's this woman named Allison Riley. Do you know Allison? No. Allison Riley was a house manager at Second City mainstay. Uh-huh. So Irish Chicago Irish broad. Uh-huh. Allison Riley in the city Chicago. Her name is Allison Riley for God's sake. <laughs> Everybody fell in love with her. Uh, so Allison was you wouldn't fuck around. You do not fuck around with Allison. So if there was somebody in the audience, Allison would be He's gonna on deal it. with that. Oh, and she could she could. Find Find out the person right there and go, that's a trouble table. Let's keep an eye on that. Yeah. Yeah. And we would experience that a lot in theaters in Chicago, too. And people get that way. Yeah. And that should be just taken care of. Um, yeah. I remember doing a, a Chicago conspiracies trial with Pasquese and things. And people in that show, that riled people because it was this very docudrama kind of play. Dell was in that, too, and right? Dell was in it. Yeah. Right? I sat next to Dell for six months. Right. I remember. <laughs> no, this just came to me. We'd been doing the show for like six months, and I sat next to Dell at the defense table. You know, so throughout rehearsal and in the play, my character sat next to Dell's character the whole time, and he's you know, a fascinating guy to watch. Um, and he and, and Dave were going to be producing some kind of like a Friday late night show or something. They were talking about that. And the producer of our show was this great guy, R.P. Seacon. He uh, was a great Chicago guy, and he's out here in Los Angeles now. And Dell was, I'd heard him relating to a number of people, like, yeah, you know, we're thinking of doing this. And- the show, Dave and I, and uh, really good job. And every time job. he, you know, he got to a point of needing to talk about RPC, and he could never remember his name. And I'd be there, and I'd prompt his name, and I'd say, "It's RPC, RPC, RPC." And um, and so it had been about the tenth time, and I prompted, and I said, "Dell, how can you? It's such a great name, RPC Con. How can you not remember a name like RPC Con?" And he just looked at me, and again, this is after six months of sitting next to him, and he said, "Well, I don't know your name." <laughs> I studied with Del for two years. I studied with Del for two years, and uh, I had some pot one time, and I said to Sharna, you want to get, let's get high. Uh-huh. And Sharna went, great, let me ask Del. And I watched Sharna, I said, Del, if you want to go, and I watched Sharna walk up to Del, uh-huh. and I think I've told this story, but I watched Sharna walk up to Del, and I overheard Sharna saying, Dave Rosaski's got some, uh, some pot, we should smoke pot. And Del's like, ooh. And it's like, Dave Rosaski, you know, he's a student, he's been here for a Dave Rosaski, he's a student, he's been here for a while. Dave Rosaski, Dave Rosaski. And then she pointed over to me, and he takes his 
finger and his hand and uh -huh. puts into a C, uh -huh. you know, and then he puts it up to his face uh -huh. as if I have a big nose. Oh. Like, he goes, like, oh, that guy. I'm like, oh, you fucking douchebag. You douchebag. <laughs> well, often having a visual aid really helps it you remember It really names. does help. It really does help. The idea of the warmth of that guy, I mean, just so warm. I don't know your name. That is an awesome story. But uh, but anyway, but that's going back to that. Yeah, you, I mean, uh, you know, stage manager who was uh, Puff. Did you know Puff? Mary yeah. McCall? Yeah. Puff was our stage manager for that. I mean, like, does not, you know, know that's no, handled that uh, person's Puff, out, you know, if something happens. But Puff came out of Second City. Right, exactly. So you have that, you need to have, especially there. I mean, people must have been tanked all the time. They were tanked all the time, and most of the time, because there was a scene that Colbert and I would do where we would kiss in that scene. We would have a full-on fucking make-out kiss, and people in the audience would lose their <laughs> shit. So this is 94, 93, 94, where people weren't doing sure, that. Sure, sure. And we were kissing, and women, women, not men, women would shout out, fucking faggot. Fucking faggot. Really? And women would shout that out. I'm, 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 I'm shocked. Wow. At, I'm shocked at people. I'm shocked at people. Because I feel like, and, and I, now that we have the internet, people are just, they're, they're going off on people because you can be so uh, anonymous. Right, right, right. You think the same thing happens sitting out in a dark house? It gives you that same level of anonymity? Oh, that absolutely. You I can't imagine... I, and P.S. That scene is amazing. I've seen. I've seen. Yeah, that. it's a great scene. Oh, it's amazing. Um, and so, you know, not about that at all. I mean, it's like you've missed the point completely. What's going but on? But, but regardless, to have that, I can't imagine having that impulse to shout something out. You know, to shout your deepest prejudices and hatred and bile like to just absolutely or to, to have that and to think it's okay yeah right do you, you think, think they thought okay. it was funny in some way like they're they're part of they're they're just, so, they were just I, disgusting it's all about fear yeah. it's of all course. about fear and it's about them not it's about because really that's also about them holding on to themselves the, right. to their self right. taking care of the self that they have in that moment because their self is being, wait a minute, two guys standing there kissing. Right. And a minute ago, I thought, I didn't know that. That's yes. not, there should be a yes. warning. Right. You know, <laughs> gunshots, strobe light, and men kissing will be, you know, <laughs> it will be in this performance. But uh, uh, it's, it, again, it goes back to the idea of are you protecting yourself and uh -huh. how much fucking work that is. Absolutely. And it's, you know, and it's similar to, again, the, you know, when, when, uh, Initially, with Queer as Folk, with the press, we would at, be asked about, you know, are you gay or are you straight? I would also say it uh, a number of times. I said, you know, that's kind of an inherently homophobic question because why does it, A, why does it matter? Uh, B, I mean, do you ask, you know, do you ask George Clooney, does he actually cut people up? You know, was he actually a surgeon before he was on ER? Right. Or, you know, did you ask, uh, you know, is Anthony Hopkins actually a serial killer? And I here's mean, another one. It, it, are, is anybody asking Nicole Kidman? Yeah. What's it like to be an Australian or whatever she is, right. Kiwi? Yeah. Or there was a guy, did you ever see Band of Brothers? Yes. So Band of Brothers is that red-haired guy who is yeah. in Homeland now. Yes, yes. Is yeah. it uh, uh, Damien Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The red-haired yes. guy. He played Winters or Summers or a name like that. <laughs> and then I remember watching him and thinking, that's an American. That guy's an American. Right. How did they find that American guy? And then you hear him talk. It's like, well, I went to the store and I didn't realize. And I was like, what the, what the, and I was so upset. Right. I was upset, like, how dare you wreck what it is that I think that it is that it is that you are and how dare you? And it's, you know? Yeah. I, I had an interesting conversation recently. My, my new favorite TV show is Orphan Black, which comes out of Canada. And a lot of our old crew from Queer as Folk works on it. So we had a brunch a few, uh, 
about a month ago or so, and some of the Orphan Black cast was there, and I went as a fanboy to go have brunch and meet some of them. And one of the actors in the cast, that's a, he's an amazing actor, uh, and uh, Jordan, his name is, and Jordan's character on the show is very gay, uh, this very gay British fellow. And uh, Jordan is gay in real life, but he is not British. And he told me that he actually fought to, to get the dialect to be British as a way to distance himself from the character so that when he did meet people in real life, they were more stunned by the fact that he wasn't actually British than the fact that he actually was a gay man playing a gay part because there is still that prejudice out there that, oh, that's all he can do. Right. You know? And I thought, and he's only 25, 26, something. I was like, you are a smart-ass kid because, I, you know, that's brilliant. And that's brilliant. But that, that he had to do it is sad. Uh, it works for the character. It's great. But that he was smart enough to know... I need to kind of separate myself. I think know? it's interesting to say that he had to kind of do it is sad. Because, and let me just say, yeah. because, because he had to do it, yes. the character is deeper. Mm-hmm. Because yes. he had to do it, that character is stronger. Yes. But perhaps it's a happy accident. I, well, yeah. <clears throat> but it's also all artists, we're, as artists, we're, we're, when, when we put ourselves under pressure, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying under pressure only because it'll be fun to do that. Yeah. When when we put ourselves under pressure, what wonderful things we allow ourselves to do that strength strengthens us. That's true. You're right. I mean, and I guess when I say it's it's sad, I mean that I understand what you mean. You know, yeah. within the, within the realms of the business or the industry, that one has to worry about. You know, as I was constantly asked in doing Queer as Folk, aren't you worried that you're never going to play anything but a gay character? Right. That you have, that there has to be a moment, you know, because you're giving a performance. I met this um, casting director who at the time was the head of casting at Fox, way up there. And it took forever for me to even get in to have a meeting with him. And this is while Queer as Folk was going on. Um, my manager tried to get me in and he wouldn't meet. He's like, nah, I, don't, I don't like the guy. He wouldn't meet with me. And she finally, she said, let me send my reel, send the reel. She took, sent the reel over. He watched my reel. I said, okay, let me meet with him. And I sat down with him, and he apologized. He said, look, I'm sorry. And again, this is head of casting for a network. Um, he was a gay man, had been in a relationship a long time, was a huge fan of the show. Um, and he didn't like the character I played on the show. And he was so used to in casting, especially for a long-running series, that you cast people who just are the character. You don't, he said, I'm, honestly, I'm not used to there being just an actor playing a part who's actually just a really good actor. And, and, you know, and that was immensely eye-opening to me. And so it's that kind of stuff where I say that's what's sad is that you have to think about that, that people are going to think if you played this character, even not just people on the street, but people who are in the business who are, you hope will hire you or help you get hired in the future, that you have to overcome something because you did a good job. Right. You know, right. so that, that's what I mean. It's that. also interesting to me that that is, if you said, what network was this? Yes. Where the casting director did that, I would go to Fox. Yeah. Because Fox, because of Fox News. Oh, and Fox News does that thing where they go, this is it. I'm not going to get any further than that. And right. I think it's really interesting that as a gay casting director, yes. or uh, as a casting director who's gay, yes. you, as a casting director who's gay, he's not willing to open himself up for those other things that occur in the world because yes. it's called acting. Right. It's not, yes, you're acting and you're being, but you're not being first, you're acting first, and then you're acting, you're being. Yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That? And, and that's what's kind of interesting now that, I mean, you could probably list off 
a dozen shows on television now that you that you love and you love watching and that that are all American shows and that the lead actors in it are British right but you wouldn't but until you get you know into the show and you hear an interview with them for the first time and you hear a British accent you go what yeah you know, it so it's interesting you. that now that's become a plus you know that you actually are not it's it's very strange. So well, well what's his name? Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict in, Cumberbatch, yeah. Uh, in August Osage County. Yeah, in that film, and 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 Martin Freeman now in Fargo. Right. You know, similarly. Right. And uh, um, uh, Walking Hugh Dead, Laurie. Hugh Laurie on the House. Right. Uh, right. You know, the guy uh, Andrew Lincoln on Walking Dead. I mean, all these right. guys. Damien Lewis, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a curious thing that it's cool for them to be you know who's that to play uh, British or Australian uh-huh. actors. Right. Um, to, you know, that's that's makes them instantly a great actor because they, you know, they do this great dialect. Right. That's, that's American. It's this interesting right. thing. And then the idea mm. of oh, if you're acting gay, well, right. that's something different. Right. Right. And it's all this. It's the same fucking thing. Yes. I, there's just so much to talk about with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that the the idea of there are no there are no walls. There are only walls that we think that there are, there are. You know, the idea of we call gender, gender, we don't see gender as a wall, but gender certainly is a wall. Mm-hmm. And it permeates. Mm-hmm. We're human beings, and just because we call it this doesn't mean that it is that. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And you must, you know, doing, doing Queer as Folk, that there was, to, for you to go, I am playing this part. Right. I, I, am, uh, I am a straight man playing this gay part, mm-hmm. and I'm also a gay man. I'm, playing a, I'm a straight man playing a gay part, and I'm also a gay... Uh, play, at the, my character is, also has their walls up in mm-hmm. the show as well. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially my character, you know, was one who could pass. He was not an obviously gay man. Right. You know, out in the world. And, right. And dealt constantly with that pressure. Right. And he also was addicted to porn, too. So, right. you know, the, the, the struggles that, that happened. And he was an accountant, you know, and kind of the, the, like the most... all those things. All those things. Yeah, absolutely. All these layers, which are, which are wonderful and absolutely... Add, and you have to kind of use it all. And, um, you know, my, um, my kind of mentor teacher from way back in Connecticut was a wonderful actor named Morris Karnofsky who had been part yes. of the group theater yes. um, and had been, was blacklisted. He was one of the people that uh, Ilya Kazan named names about, mm-hmm. and so he was blacklisted for a long time. But he was a wonderful actor, and he, um, his kind of philosophy or method, if you want to call it that, uh, was this kind of triangular thing for acting of relaxing into yourself and if you've learned how to relax into yourself, back to your whole question of self and knowing yourself, if you then relate to an object, and an object could be, you know, that wonderful piece of ceramic here on your mm-hmm. table. It could be, you know, picturing a cloud. It could be remembering a person's face. or Whatever that object is, if you're relaxed into yourself and you relate honestly with that object, action will automatically occur. And that's, and that's it. Uh, and that was, he was, that was my kind of light bulb kind of thing. Um, and that, so you have to, and it's why your Hamlet is going to be different from my Hamlet, you know, because you're bringing your sense of your Rizowski-ness to it, and I'll be bringing my Scottness to it, right. you know, and that's, and I love that. Um, and that's, you, so you have to bring all your layers you're talking about when you're playing a character like that. I can't be, you know, even though I'm playing a gay character, it's still going to have a Scottness to it. At whatever level, even if it was flamboyantly gay, like sheer madness, or not obviously gay, uh, as in queer as folk, um, 
and all those layers are wonderful to have, like you're talking about. Uh, makes it richer and deeper and more interesting, more complicated. Um, you know, this, the biggest struggle for me doing that show was learning how to leave it at the office because I got very depressed playing the character because he was very self-loathing and I really had to dredge up the worst parts, the parts that I work on with my therapist to kind of keep tap down. I had it for five years, keep bringing to the surface, you know, which is exciting and great, but that was the challenge. How do you leave it at the office? Because I would bring it home with me <clears throat> quite often. And it would take me at least a month to kind of detox and get back to myself when I would come back to L.A. to see my friends. and things. Back to self. Yeah, back to self. Great. Um, because you're combining, you right. know. And, uh, but, it's, but it's always there. So you have to, I mean, it's, it's great you talk about all this stuff because that's for, for acting. That's and the most important. And living. The most important, <laughs> exactly, for living too. Let's stop there. Great. That was great. Thank you. Oh, man. Such eloquence, such focus, so inspiring to, uh, well, any artist, really. How about that? Thank you, Scott Lowell, and we wish you continued success. The Tonys will be aired on CBS on June 7th, hosted by Alan Cumming and Christian Chenoweth. That should be good. ADD Comedy with Jay Rosaski. Thanks, Laura Parker, my co-producer, my dear friend, musician extraordinaire, Al Rose, for our theme song, I Feel Like a Million Dollars, from Al's album, Sad Go Lucky, and Ian Foley, our producer emeritus. And we also want to thank you, our listeners, because, well, you're listening. Thank you so much. If you liked our show, give us a positive note on iTunes, won't you? If you're interested in having me, Dave Rosaski, at your theater, your improv school, your corporate event, rap to a bunch of fourth graders, whatever, please drop me a line at dave at addcomedy.com. Thank you, and we'll hear you in our ears. Guaranteed. <laughs>